Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on iWorkFram, click on the iWorkFram Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the iWorkFram Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's iWorkForHim.com, iWork, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Super big thanks. Go out to Jose Cruz. He'll be engineering the show today. Have you joined the I Work For Him Nation yet? Have you made that commitment to praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Looking for ways to serve people in the workplace. Looking for ways to befriend those people that you work alongside so that you get the opportunity to pray with them. Members of the I Work For Him Nation are people of excellence, and they want to serve the Lord in everything that they do, and they want to be the best and brightest, the greatest example of an employee in their position in their workplace. I'm not saying people in the I Work For Him Nation are perfect. I'm not. I'm just saying people in the I Work For Him Nation are willing to let the Lord use them as a missionary in their workplace, because we need to understand that our workplace is our mission field. And in our mission field, you and me, we may be the only Jesus that our coworkers and employees may ever meet. But it does take a paradigm shift in our minds. Romans 12, 2 says this, Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And honestly, I would say that, you know, every day I always say, hey, I come up with a different approach. We got different guests, and, and we do. Today, we're going to take an approach. You know, the Friday's day is sometimes a call-in day. Sometimes we bring in guests. And Martha told me about this author and her husband about two or three years ago. And I got a copy of Carol Kent's latest book, Unquenchable, a few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half. That's a few weeks in my world. <laughs> and uh, as I read this book this past weekend from cover to cover, I understand something about my faith that I never understood before. So I can't wait for you to hear from Carol Kent and her husband, Gene, about their book and the story of their life being written out in Unquenchable and written out in the in the story of their own lives. Carol Kent, Gene Kent, welcome to I Work For Him. Thank you. We're honored to be on the air with you. Hey, Jim. Thank you very much. We're glad to be on the air, yes. You know, I, I'm, I'm so glad we got this worked out, and I know it took some some just coordinating, and between your schedules and our schedules, it was it, it took a little bit of time, but I'm just so grateful. And what I love best is when I get a chance to read a book that impacts my life, you know, from a, from a spiritual standpoint, I love that because I get a chance to read stuff all the time, and sometimes it's really good, sometimes it's just workplace-related, but yours was just all about my faith and, and, and why we have to go through some of the things we go through in order to deepen our faith. So we're not going to give that all away yet. First, I want to just hear from you guys. You know, and Carol, start first, ladies first. How is, <laughs> Je- how is Jesus Christ making a difference in your life today? 
Well, I'll tell you, I don't think I'd be alive and breathing if it weren't for him. He's making a big difference. But one of the things that is true for all of us is that when trials or a major crisis hits our lives, we have to decide, are we going to believe that God is good and he is trustworthy, or will we wither up and uh, just uh, put a, put the covers over our heads and, and quit uh, breathing and living in terms of being outside with people? And so God is giving me the ability to read his word and find renewed hope and courage in the middle of an ongoing life situation as that is not what I would have picked. Yeah, that, I, that I believe. And after people hear your story, they're going to go, yeah, nobody would pick that. Gene, what about you? How is Jesus Christ making a difference in your life? Hey, in, in so many ways, Jim, I know even in your introduction, you talked about pray for your coworkers every day. And I do, just want to be of encouragement to uh, all the listeners out there. I do pray for my coworker every day because she's sitting right across the desk from me right now, which is my wife. And we work together and have for the last 16 years and have just had a dynamic time. I probably need to back up a little bit because if it weren't for my wife and her family that I met many, many, many years ago when I was in high school, and her her father led me to Jesus Christ when I was 17 years old. Wow. So it does go back a long ways. Yeah, that story, it, it was a tearjerker story. When you, <laughs> when you look at the amazingness of, of God intersecting your lives yeah. and, and the privilege of your future father-in-law. Well, and, and Carol's home watching her little brothers and sisters just doing what she's supposed to do as the oldest, <laughs> watching the little one. And, and mom and dad are out doing ministry, and they're in the process of leading her. They didn't know this either, re- reaching uh, uh, her future husband and, and leading him to Christ. That's a really cool story. That's when you go, Wow, God was weaving our lives together before we even knew it. And Martha and I also have a story where our lives were woven together before we uh-huh. even knew each other. But it's really, really cool. But I'm glad you brought that up because it it really set you guys apart because the Lord was sending out advanced, really advanced soldiers in your lives yes. to, long before you guys even knew what was coming. You know, I, I want you to just give a little teaser, Carol. Before we go on the break, we're going to the break in about 30 seconds. Give a little teaser on Jason and really what your life story has been about this last, you know, 13, 14 years. Well, I gave birth to an only child, and he was a delight to raise. And we received a phone call that totally transformed the rest of our lives, telling us our son had been arrested for murder. Mm. And that's a story that changes everybody's lives. But some yeah. people, as Carol said, we've got to decide, do we believe that God is good and trustworthy, or are we going to cover our heads and bury our heads and go to our, go to our grave mourning? And this is a story that is Carol and Jean's story as they share it across the nation, and they're going to share it across the nation today on the radio. We're talking today with Jean and Carol Kent. Carol is an author, and she's written many books, one of which is When I Lay My Isaac Down, and another one is Unquenchable, which we're talking about today, which she, Martha wants to say something. I do. Um, I, you know, I just want to say that I became familiar with um, Carol's book, When I Lay My Isaac Down, years ago. I ran a, a Christian retail bookstore for about nine years, and I know that this is a book that I always had on my shelf because there was always... That was a go-to book for me when somebody came in with um, particular needs. And I know that my mom had given away dozens.
thousands of copies of the book as well, because it just is, um, it's ministered to so many people at different points in their life. So that's just a, um, just a little backstory on that, the book. You know, Carol, it's it, and Jean, it's got to be amazing to know how the Lord has used your story. That doesn't mean that it's been easy. I know it's been incredibly difficult, but I know that it's amazing that God continues to use your story and multiply it. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to let you guys tell your story uninterrupted without me asking a lot of stuff here in the next several minutes. But I want to I want to tell the listener we're going to give away a copy of Carol's latest book Unquenchable which to, which talks about right after the break where it talks about grow a wildfire faith will endure anything and the imagery Carol that you used in the book about the ember mm-hmm. and, and 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 what it takes to create an ember yes. and and what it takes to start a forest fire with one of those embers flying through the air and how mm-hmm. that that kind of faith is the faith that is unquenchable and it it is the it is, people cannot resist being impacted by that kind of faith, and that touched me because I I recognize that. But it, in order to create an ember, a lot of stuff has got to get burned, and a mm-hmm. lot and, and there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of pent up fuel, and and and, I, and God's got to kind of burn off that stuff in order to be glorified in that burning ember that is really focused on Him, and that's that's exciting. We could talk about the 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 amazing spiritual part of that. But let's talk about what led up to that. You mentioned that you have an only child, the two of you, and that you yes. got a phone call. Yes, we we all have an only child, and uh, he was just a great kid to raise. You know, I, had, I was uh, a believer, as we had talked about earlier, and I read the Jim Dobson books, you know, and I wanted to be the perfect father, of course, like uh, many men want to be. And so I would read to him, and we went through the Chronicles of Narnia. We did all of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a great kid to raise all the way through high school. He was president of the National Honor Society. And in the 10th grade, he got the, excited about possibly going to the United States Naval Academy, which I wasn't even in the military, and I love the military, but um, we had a, a young man down the street who had gone there, and our son was just very captivated by him. So we went to visit Annapolis, and Jason then made the application. You know, it's a real difficult process to go through, and he applied to all three academies, and he finally got the uh, appointment, and he went to USNA in Annapolis, Maryland. And I was, again, a proud father after he had gone through all of this. I'm living, I was living vicariously through him. But I think in a good way. Well, Jason uh, wound up falling in love with a previously married woman who had two little girls. And we got a phone call telling us that uh, his orders had changed and they wanted to get married next Friday so that they could move to surface warfare uh, officer school together. And for... uh, We talked them into getting married in our hometown with the accountability of family and friends around them, and we had a beautiful wedding on a picture-perfect day. And during that year, there, there were phone calls that came from Jason, and we realized that he was very concerned because the biological father of the girls, that would be his wife's first husband, um, was trying to get unsupervised visitation of the girls. And uh, we got that middle-of-the-night phone call one year after they had been married that told us 
that our son had been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband. And uh, Jim, uh, we could hardly breathe. Mm. We just, uh, nausea swept over me. I could hardly get out of bed. My legs wouldn't hold my weight. Uh, we just went through that night not believing what we had heard about this son who had really been a, a model son, not perfect, but certainly a good kid. And he had been arrested for murder. And we realized in retrospect that he had begun to unravel mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as his fears for his stepdaughters increased. And when it appeared that a judge was going to give this biological father unsupervised visitation of these vulnerable little girls, Jason uh, cracked, and he did the unthinkable. Uh, We went through two and a half years and seven postponements of the trial, and uh, Jason was eventually convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in the state of Florida. Mm. When you got that, the the proclamation that your son is going to go to prison and never come home, you guys, all of a sudden, your lives were never going to look the same. They already didn't look the same because you've gone through this murder trial. You, you, you've, you've lived this whole thing, and you, you'd, you'd had the hope that something would come good out of it. But again, you, you're thinking that the good would be that he wouldn't be sentenced. And he gets put in prison, and he's here in prison here in Florida, correct? Yes, that's right. And so you guys oh. made the change. You actually moved here. Oh, yes. Well, we call it our new kind of normal, and that is actually the title of the book I wrote after Mm -hmm. when I lay my Isaac down. It's just called A New Kind of Normal, because all of our listeners know that when the life you once anticipated or expected turns out very differently in a negative way from what you anticipated, you are forever in a new kind of normal. And there are choices you need to make that will uh, either allow you to disintegrate mentally and emotionally and sometimes spiritually, or you're going to make choices based on God's truth that will take this horrible thing that's happened and allow you to make some good of it for God's kingdom glory. You made the comment at the beginning of the show when I asked you how Christ was making a difference in your life. You said you had to make a choice to to believe that God is good and trustworthy or to go the other direction. How Mm -hmm. did you guys make that choice together to, to, to recognize that God is good even in this circumstance. You know, uh, Jim, we all have those hopes and dreams for our children. You know, as, as all of your listeners know that they have those hopes and dreams for their children. And Carol and I had been married for, uh, well, our son was 25 when the murder took place. And we had uh, 20-some years of marriage between us at that point. And uh, we had that commitment that we knew God does not waste what happens with our lives. And we didn't understand what was happening as far as what possible good he could bring out of all of this. But we trust, we trusted him then. We trust him today that uh, he's bringing good out of all that happens. And then the other thing that happened soon after Jason's arrest is that Gene came into the room I was in, and he said, Carol, I'm going to start reading the Bible over again, Mm -hmm. beginning in Genesis. He said, we must have missed something. And uh, about a day later, he came rushing out uh, to where I was, and he said, Carol, I'm in Genesis 28, and it's that passage where Jacob is in a dream, and there's a ladder from earth to heaven, and Jacob sees angels going up and down on that ladder. And then Jean read Genesis 28:16, uh, and it goes like this, Surely the Lord is in this place, 
and I was not aware of it. Hmm. And we came to understand that when God seems the most absent, he is indeed the most present. How many years now has Jason been in prison? He has been in 16 years right now. Yeah, a lot of people listening are like, well, this must be pretty recent because it, it, <laughs> of what they're hearing. But I think one of the most powerful parts of this testimony is that you're a little further down the road. Yes. And, and you have been able to see some of the incredible good that God has done as a result of this. Let's first talk about from a mom and dad's perspective, because Martha and I are parents. We've got three kids, and they're all across the country. None of them are here. In, well, one was in Florida, but in Jacksonville, and everybody else has gone back to the Midwest. And So what, talk about the impact, number one, on your spiritual lives as a result of all this. How was your walk with the Lord today versus what it was like you know, 18 and a half years ago when you first got that phone call? Jim, uh, my walk with the Lord's even closer to him than it was back then. You know, life was going relatively good back then. I remember right after the marriage took place, and we became instant grandparents, and I became uh, the grampster to Mm -hmm. uh, to the little three- and uh, six-year-old step-grandchildren that we had. And we were walking along the St. Clair River, and we said, does life get any better than this? And we just rejoiced over all of the good things that were happening. And then when this took place, uh, you know, it just brought us face-to-face, brought me face-to-face again with that we don't know what God is going to allow in our lives. And um, we're just trusting that uh, he's bringing good out of bad. How has this, your son being in prison for 16 years, for, for the murder of his wives, his wife's first husband, how has that impacted your faith? So, Carol, why don't you, Gene, you, you were, I don't know if you were done. I kind of interrupted. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, so, Carol. Go ahead, Carol. <laughs> well, I would say when you are in the middle of a crushing personal situation, uh, you either come to grips with the fact that it, it's going to make you or allow you to become closer to God, or you're in a run in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I found that every time I felt like I was beating into the chest of God saying why, I could not help but lean into his embrace. And as we were standing in line uh, at the prison, many, many times we have to stand in line for two hours or more before we even get sick through security, and blazing heat or torrential rain. It's Florida, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, it is so disheartening when uh, the system doesn't run smoothly. And uh, so we had a chance to meet a whole lot of families of inmates. And we launched a nonprofit organization called Speak Up for Hope because we were meeting wives and moms and uh, children of inmates who were in desperate need. And uh, then we started to look around and say, Lord, through this organization, how can we help those who are inmates and those who are in their families? And uh, we've been able to put uh, books and DVDs in the prison system. We send boxes of hope to wives and moms of inmates. But then there have been some really practical things that have happened. Uh, The rules change all the time about how you can get into visitation and what clothing you can wear. And uh, I had been noticing that Jean's stack of black t-shirts was getting shorter and shorter. And I said, what's happening here? I know dryers eat socks, but I didn't think they ate black (laughs) t-shirts. And he said, you'll find out soon enough. And uh, the next weekend we were at visitation and I saw a woman be turned away and uh, she was at the door and she was sobbing. And I immediately knew why she had on a sleeveless blouse. So she wasn't allowed 
allowed in. Mm-hmm. And the nearest Walmart is 20 miles away. So you can imagine what's involved in getting appropriate clothing once you've waited two hours to get in. It's discouraging. And suddenly I realized that Gene had left his place in the line and I saw him emerge from our trunk carrying a black T-shirt. He walked it up to the woman and he said, here, ma'am, put this on and go to the front of the line. Have a wonderful visit with your loved one. He came back to where I was standing and I said, so that's what's been happening to your black T-shirts. He Mm -hmm. smiled. He said, it's my ministry. (laughs) Well, a month later, I was speaking in Wisconsin and I shared that story. And a few weeks later, I opened my front door and there was a big box there and I opened it up and it was filled with black T-shirts. There was a note inside and it said, Dear Carol, I recently heard you speak at the women's retreat and I work for Jansport so I can purchase T-shirts very inexpensively. Please use this box of T-shirts toward your husband's T-shirt ministry through his trunk distribution program. I hope it helps. And you know, what we do is just look around and find practical things we can do to help others who are in a very difficult place and it changes our whole perspective mm-hmm. you know and the in your book unquenchable you go on to talk about a lot of ministry that happens in the room when you guys are visiting your son on visiting days but i want to step back for a minute because the transformation in lives because of your faith in christ has not just been the two of you Jason has gone through an incredible transformation, and it's having a monstrous impact. Please talk about that. Yes. You know, when he went to prison, he was not in a good spot. He knew the Lord as his Savior, and uh, that could be a whole other debate about whether somebody can know the Lord as their Savior and commit murder. But we're not going to discuss that, I don't think, right now. And uh, But as soon as he was there... Other Christian men came around him. He started reading his Bible again, and uh, he confessed, you know, the sin that he had done and came back to a deeper relationship with the Lord. And it took him a number of years before he got the trust of the warden before he could teach anything. In prisons, the wardens usually won't let an inmate do very much as far as uh, a teaching kind of interaction with other inmates. They're afraid they're going to start a gang or something like that or have undue uh, coercion over other inmates. But our son has taken, I would guess at this point, probably 800 or 900 men through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Uh-huh. And we'll, we'll be at visitation and we'll have uh, an inmate bring their girlfriend or their wife over to our table and, and they'll ask, will you explain to my wife that she should not buy a new car, she should buy a used car? And uh, so we have lots of discussion about finances with people who are there in visitation. But we also have those opportunities of sharing Christ and just sharing uh, how people can grow in their faith as we have interaction with other families there at the prison situation. I think what's also remarkable in the story is how the Lord has allowed you guys, well, I actually don't know, Gene, if you've been able to share your story, but Carol, you wrote in the book that you've been you've been able to go speak in, in, in Jason's yeah. prison and other prisons. And, yes. when, and when you're speaking to these other prisons, you're running into other prisoners whose lives were impacted by Jason and his faith oh, yes. in Christ. 
I call him my missionary on the inside. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the books that Jason contributed to is called Between a Rock and a mm-hmm. Grace Place. Mm-hmm. And every chapter is on one of the divine surprises that we've encountered on this journey. Uh, and Jason has written letters throughout that book that talk about how he's been surprised by freedom on the inside, and that's his heart. And he's been surprised by contentment. He lives out of a little tiny lockbox that has his Bible pictures and uh, legal papers and a, a few letters in it. And he said, you know, it's not all that bad to live very simply. I don't have anything of the cares of this world to bog me down. And he said, that's not all bad. And we've discovered that through learning that Jason's testimony through this book can be spread literally all over the globe or encouraged. And then the publisher decided that they were going to have me do a DVD teaching series on this book and write a study guide. And uh, it was just miraculous how the people in charge allowed the videographers to go in and tape Jason on video reading from his own letters. They let you um, create a video teaching series, even using some of the, um, it sounds like, on location with Jason. Yes, he, right at the prison, they were allowed to go in and tape him reading from his letters that appear in Between a Rock and a Grace Place. Mm. And so I think the marvel to us is that the testimony of our son, even though he is in one location in a prison here in the state of Florida, the testimony of his life and how God has totally transformed his thinking and has given him new hope and a new future really can reverberate around the globe. And Martha, if Jason could speak to you in this interview today, he would say, I began to make an idol out of my own ability uh, to keep my girls from being hurt instead of entrusting in God alone, instead of teaching them how to run and scream and dial 911. And he would say, I was wrong, and I am paying a very severe price for it. Wow. And there's so many people that can probably take that same lesson and learn from it, and his transparency makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I got to tell you, as I read the story and as I experienced the story of your life as I read this book this past Saturday, I, I understand a little bit about what was going through Jason's mind, because if my daughters were in, in danger... Yeah. And I don't know, God God builds into us men, you know, we're just going to protect the women in our lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I know Jason didn't handle it right. I know there was a lot of, but I cannot, I, I, as a man, I understand a little bit about what he's going through. And, and, and it's, it's tough to say that, but I, I, I know I'm infallible and I know I'm supposed to put my faith entirely in God, but sometimes you're like, I can take it. I'm going to take care of this. Well, I've even had women after speaking engagements come up and whisper in my ear, I wish I had someone who protected me. And so I understand the pain in that statement and the abuse that no doubt uh, that person went through. But one thing we always need to remember is that God never goes against his word. And so what Jason did was against the laws of God and man, but God Mm -hmm. will not waste it. Once there has been forgiveness and confession of that sin, we can use what's happened as a platform upon which we can bring hope and truth to others. So, Jason's been in prison 16 years. You've talked about the impact of eight or 900 people that have learned about Financial Peace University and how to really honor God with how they handle money. Sure. But, he's, but he's made other impacts in their gene, hasn't he? I mean, there's, he's, there's other discipleship going on. Yes, he has discipleship with uh, one-on-one a lot. 
uh, especially when they have the free time where they're on the yard and can do exercise and things like that. Jason has a black belt in karate, and uh, they can't do fighting, but uh, they do lots of exercise. And uh, Jason will have guys quoting Bible verses in between uh, various exercises. And so some of the guys know hey, if you're going to go work out with Jason Kent, you're going to have to also listen to the Bible. And um, But he's also careful though, just about listening to men and giving them input into their lives about you know, what uh, they could do with their children better, what they could do with their wives and their girlfriends, and to have more of an impact. And there's lots of, you know, most of the men are getting out of prison eventually at some date. Our son has a light sentence. And um, many of those men, most of those men, want to have a different life when they get out of prison. They don't want to go back to their old lives. They don't, they've seen what uh, their old lives are going to bring. And um, Jason, Jason is enabled to give lots of input to the men about how to live a different life when they get on the outside. You know, what? I, one of the reasons why I really wanted to make sure that we brought you guys on for a show was, you know, we, we talk with people every day that, that share how their testimonies, how... God is working in their workplace and, yeah. and how they recognize it as a mission field. And, and Carol, you use your incredible writing ability. Uh, uh, that's your workplace. That is your, mm-hmm. that, uh, that's what you do every day and, and, and writing about it. And you're touching the lives of people. And what I loved is that God took Jason's workplace, which happens yes. to be in prison and, and, and he's using it. He's a missionary in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, no, right. nobody wants to be sent to prison missionary field <laughs> you're absolutely right <laughs> but but the but the good news the good news is that the good news is so powerful that once it rocked jason's world it's rocked the prison world i, I gotta believe that that the the people in the prison must love him because he's speaking truth and the truth is powerful yes it is powerful and uh, several men have written to us uh, inmates and uh, they said, your son transformed my life, or he led me to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I, It is just so profound to me uh, how many people have told us what an influence he's been. And one mom came up to me in the visitation area one day, and she said, are you Carol Kent? I said, yes. She said, I want to shake your son's hand. I heard there was a godly man here, and that his name is Jason Kent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that is something that was so unexpected that without our prompting at all, that word had gotten around that Jason was a godly man. And I know that he does not want to waste his time, and he has a, an eternal perspective. And, uh, you know, once every five years you can apply for the clemency process, and it takes about three to five years for your paperwork to make it to the top of the pile. But uh, a few years ago that happened, and our attorney called, and he said, uh, he said, Carolyn Jean, the Florida Parole Commission has recommended that Jason's case be heard before the governor and the top other three highest elected officials in the state. And uh, he said, but you need to come to Tallahassee, and we need a waiver hearing. And uh, we got there, and it went very well. We felt the favor of God in that place. And they sent us home to collect letters that they would all read through and then decide if Jason would get the clemency hearing. And we spent two months collecting these letters. It was an enormous task. And Three days after we sent that box that we prayed over to Tallahassee, Mm -hmm. we got a call from our attorney saying, I just got a a form letter from the attorney to the governor, and it's just 
stamped denied. And I was sobbing. I said, Jean, they didn't even read the letters. We got this so fast. They couldn't possibly have had a meeting or read through everything we sent. And I was so discouraged. The next day was a visit day. I said, I can't go and face Jason and his buddies who've been fasting and praying over this. Mm. And uh, he, I said, you go in. I came in at noon. I was weeping. And on the other side of the big double doors, uh, I fell into my son's shoulders and I sobbed. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. We worked so hard. We prayed so hard. And uh, here were his friends who had been fasting over this. And, and all we got was this big denial. And he had the peace of Jesus on his face. He said, mom, if we'd gotten the, the waiver, he said, we might have thought it was because we had the best attorney. If we were given the clemency hearing, we might have thought we had the favor of politicians. But he said, Mom, the way this has happened, the only way I will ever walk in freedom again is when God says I've served enough time and I can serve him better on the outside than I can on the inside. He paused a moment and he said, and if that never happens in this lifetime, life is short. He, he snapped his fingers. He said, like this, we're all home free and then we'll all walk in freedom and we'll be with Jesus. It's okay, Mom. Wow. Jim, I should probably clarify, clemency can be all the way from get out of prison tomorrow to a commutation of sentence, whereas you're just asking to get a um, set number of years for the sentence. And we were just asking, we were in the clemency process, we were asking for a commutation to get it changed from life in prison, which means he would die there, to have a certain number of years, like 25, 30, 40 years, and then be allowed to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what clemency is about. And really, it's it's just about mercy. They don't retry the case or anything. The, the clemency board decides whether to show mercy if the case um, comes to that uh, level. You know, I, I want to make sure that we that we take a moment, and, and it, the story is incredible. And if they want to find out more and get a hold, just find out more about you guys, just go to your website, carolkent.org, carolkent.org. He's got lots of information on you. But I want to talk about this wildfire faith, because yeah. because that's what, when, I, when I look at the summary of the book, it lots of fantastic stories. The story of your sister is devastating. I mean, the, the whole... It, it, there's so much in there that just pl- tugs at your heart, but but the the overall theme is just yeah. But what the Lord has done in my life is He has created a wildfire faith. I am a glowing ember that nobody can get near me without being impacted by my faith. Talk to me about that. Well, I I think most of us have sat around a fire at some point and roasted marshmallows or made s'mores. And uh, you find that when that fire begins to burn down, there are embers, and they're in the wood or the coal, and they're, they're very red. And it looks like the fire's almost out. But if you study about embers, you find out that's the hottest part of the fire. And all it needs is fresh fuel and wind in order to be bigger than it even once was and catch catch other hurts on fire. And so I, would, I want to speak to that person who's listening to us right now who feels like their faith is like an ash heap, like some bad things have happened and they don't know if they can carry on. And I want them to return to their faith or to find it for the first time and allow the fuel of God's Word and the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow over them and give them re- 
renewed hope. And uh, they might need help from one other person to do that. And I encourage you, if you're listening to me and that's you, just reach out and know that whatever faith you once had can be reignited once you begin to understand that God does not want to waste your sorrow, but he wants to use it as a stepping stone for others to find faith and hope. Do you ever have tough days? Oh, many, many, many times. We still cry a lot. After 16 and a half years, I'll walk by a closet and I'll see one of Jason's Naval Academy uniforms, and that makes me weep. Um, I'll, I'll hear a song on the radio, and it will remind me of my son. Or I, I will um, see the children of my friends who are now married and having their own babies, and I realize what a, quote, normal, unquote, life they have, and I'll envy that. And so I have to put down jealousy and say, Lord, help me to realize that we have a different life, but it's not a bad life. It's a life that's filled with ministry opportunities. And Lord, help us to never forget how brief it is and that we have this one opportunity to take a stand and to reach out to others, to look around and find one person who needs help worse than we do and reach a hand to help them. And then we we somehow find our our footing Mm -hmm. again and we can go on. Jean and Carol, we've only got a minute and a half left. What I'd love for you to describe Tomorrow. Tomorrow's a visitation day, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Describe for us t- what tomorrow is like for you guys as parents. Hey, I'm uh, Jim. Tomorrow I'm going in early in the morning with my mother, and we'll stand in line for about probably an hour, and then we'll finally get in as we go through the uh, uh, security clearance there, and then we'll wait another half hour before our son comes in as he gets strip searched before he can get in. And then we give him a big hug and a kiss, and we buy stuff out of a canteen there. We warm up a hamburger or a sandwich in a microwave oven. We will play cards around the table, and we'll just talk about all the latest things that are going on in the family. We have really from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon is when visitation is on Saturdays and Sundays. So we see lots of other families just like ours in there. And we see the little kids in there. We see, you know, girlfriends who are coming in to see their boyfriends. And we know uh, a lot of those families. There's mm-hmm. 1,600 men in this prison that our son's at. And we have 50 prisons in the state of Florida. One, one last thing is what Eric Little, the Olympian, said. Circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins. I pray not to waste our sorrow, but to uh, use it to help others and to encourage others to cling to an unquenchable faith. Jean and Carol Kent. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. I hope someday we get to have some dinner together. We'd like that. We'd like that very, very much. Thanks so much for being on I Work For Him today. Yes. Bye-bye. As we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, Martha, that was an incredible story. Yes, it is. I want to thank you for bringing it to my attention. Of course. And then making me read the book. I like that. That was very, (laughs) very good. Hey, check out our website, iworkforhim.com. A couple of things I'd like you to do. Go to the front page, dot the bottom of the front page. All of our... Uh, our sponsors, our businesses and ministries that help sponsor I Work For Him, please check them out and, and do your best to support them. And also when you're out there, when the flag pops up, the I Work For Him Nation flag, consider joining the I Work For Him Nation today. What did you learn today on how you can take this city for Jesus Christ? What did you hear from Gene and Carol that will inspire your faith? Hang on.
You know, we heard a story today that's heartbreaking, yet even in the deep heartbreak of a mother and a father hearing the story that their son murdered someone and would never see the light of day again outside of prison, except for a miracle. But they had a choice to make. Did they decide whether God was good and trustworthy, or did they bury their head in a hole and say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore? Jean and Carol Kent shared their story and how not only have they allowed the Lord to build in them an unquenchable, incredible faith, but that their son, whose life has been transformed by Christ in prison, is spreading that wildfired faith in prison. You and I go to work each and every day. Some of you treat it like a prison, yet it's not. We have freedom. Your faith, is it unquenchable? When you come into your workplace, does it catch fire? Join the I Work Ram Nation tonight and make that commitment to do that on Monday. Bring your faith alive on Monday. You've been listening to the I Work Ram Radio Show with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers and we own our own business, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.